So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13, and we're going to be looking at the cause of our life, which is to remember Jesus, the cause of our life. Let me read this passage, and then we'll dig into it a little bit more. Paul writes to Timothy here. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. I started at verse 1. Verse 8. I just love that passage. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. There we are. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word. And I thank you for where it is in the midst of all the encouragement that Paul has given Timothy to, to disciple, to share, to, to be, not be ashamed of the gospel. Right here, he takes a moment and tells Timothy to remember Jesus. Father, we fail to do that many times. So help us this morning as we take a moment to remember your son, what he did for us. Jesus, you are our Savior. You are our Lord. We give you command of this service by your Spirit. Instruct us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the things that I see in a lot of younger generations is they have this craving for a purpose and I've noticed in the you know below 30 age brackets and if you're in that age bracket I'm not trying to offend you but they are looking for something that they think will make a monumental difference in the world they want a purpose they want a cause they're they're looking for something and they bounce around between vocations they bounce around between all kinds of things they're looking for a reason to live out their life well, my prayer has been, for those that I know in this circumstance, that they would let their whole life, their whole life be driven by this one purpose, Jesus. No matter what you're doing in this life, no matter where you are, there's people there. And with people, there's a need for Jesus. So you can be, he can be your cause in all circumstances. And so Paul is writing his last letter here, ever, <laughs> and he's taking a moment to explain why he's in chains, why he's in prison, and to remind us of who we're supposed to focus on, Jesus. He's in prison. He's on death row. His beheading is probably months away. It's probably really close, probably closer than a lot of our passings. He knows it's coming, but he knows that he is there at that moment in time for that reason, because of Jesus. 
for Jesus' sake. So Paul is giving Timothy here the great purpose for which our lives of faith should be lived out. Our faith walk should be done for the sake of Jesus Christ. And God gives us the reason we seek to live our faith in a bold and obedient manner. It's all for Jesus. There's no, there's no glory here. There's no temporary glory that we should be pursuing. So what motive drives our faith walk? Well, how are we motivated to continue persisting in the faith walk with Jesus Christ? And what does it mean for our eternity? Well, Paul uses two truths here this morning to reveal the cause we pursue. And the first one is that Jesus' eternal salvation should motivate you. That should be your cause. And that should come into your life and change it. Let me look at verses 8 through 10 again for you. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Our cause, our purpose, our reason for living as believers is to remember Jesus in every aspect of our life. And all that entails, that name, there's a song, there's something about that name, all that is entailed in that name, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 gave us quite the graphic depiction of what it was to remember about Jesus, that he was bruised and suffered, he was crushed, he was killed for us. So Jesus, the Son of God, a human, descended from David, which was part of the promise, lived, died, and rose. He is not a figment of your imagination. He is not some figment of anyone else's imagination. He is real. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to remove the curse of sin and death. That's why he came. He came to remove the curse of sin and death by dying for us. This is God's redemption. It is the only redemption that's out there. No other religion offers this. Nothing else offers redemption. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he came to remove that curse. Jesus Christ, who rose alive from a horrible death, an inhuman death. He was seen by 500 people. And he lives in my heart. Right? Amen. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, volunteered to take our eternal punishment and saved us, if you believe in him. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life for 33 years. And then he submitted himself to human punishment. As Paul says, death on a cross. How no, There's never been anything quite as torturous as that in all of human history. Jesus Christ is the only way by faith to be exonerated by God and go to heaven. That's the bottom line of all of this. He is the only way. Amen? Yeah, that's, that's, where, that's the bottom line. That's our cause. So... Do you remember Jesus? Do you remember Jesus? Risen from the dead, descended from Adam? I mean, David? If you didn't before remember him, you can now. I just gave you all kinds of information on him. 
But what will you do with Jesus? That's the question. Will you believe and repent? That's what he asked you to do. That was, that was Jesus' sermon when he lived on the earth. Believe and repent. Paul's point of this command is for the salvation of souls. God's purpose in sending Jesus. And this man is who Paul preaches. It's who Paul serves. It's who Paul suffers in prison. And it's who Paul will die for. Jesus Christ. That's who. And he does this so that the gospel message will keep going. And it does. One church father from long ago is believed to have said, the churches grow from the blood of martyrs. Because anyone who is willing to die for something is someone to be acknowledged at least. But in Paul's case, listen to. Paul is on death row, but the word of God is never stopped by that. As a matter of fact, there's other places in Scripture where Paul testifies that the whole Praetorian Guard, the guard of the emperor, has heard the gospel. Some have received it even. The word of God has never stopped. For over 2,000 years, it rolls on and on. It finds a way to get out. And now with digital capability, we're getting it into places that you can't get a physical Bible into without risk of life. There's countries where you can't even own a Bible, if you're, even if you're a citizen of that country. But for 2,000 years, the Bible has continued its message. In Isaiah 55, we read last week, it says it clearly, God's word will never fail to accomplish its purpose. God's word will never fail at doing that. Never. I hope you believe that. And those facts that he just lists in verse 8 and 9, those facts, he says, this, this caused the death sentence on Paul. We can't even fathom that, can we? You, you can't fathom being on death row because you owned a Bible. You can't fathom being on death row because you said Jesus out loud to somebody. We can't fathom that. Paul is sitting in prison on death row about to be beheaded because of what he said about the gospel. His head will roll for the truths of the gospel. For this man, Jesus Christ. Paul remembers Jesus. See, Jesus' eternal salvation offer, it gave Paul the cause for his life. Paul testifies many times, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I had done everything. I was ahead of all my peers. I had no reason to do any of that. It was all worthless until like, Jesus came along and then it became much clearer. That was his cause. And he endures the waiting for the execution. He just endures. They're in prison writing this letter to Timothy. He endures it. Can you imagine waiting for your execution, knowing it's coming? knowing there's no way you're going to get an appeal this time because Nero is on a rampage. The Romans are on a rampage against Christians. Can you imagine that? But why can he, how, why can he endure this? Why can he wait? Because he knows. He knows. More chosen people by God will hear the gospel. That's what he's there for. The chosen of people, God will hear the gospel. Paul preaches Jesus so the predestined believers can hear and believe. Yes, I said predestined. Because faith comes by hearing. 
That's the only way faith ever comes to us, is by hearing the gospel. See, in the doctrine of election, which, we, which Paul is referring to here, it teaches that everyone must hear the gospel to be saved. Everyone must hear the gospel to be saved. There's no exceptions. They've got to hear it to believe it. They've got to have the knowledge of it to trust it. That's why we concentrate on sending the gospel to all the unreached people groups, the people out there. There's, there's over 3,000 people groups, language groups, that do not have a gospel representation in, in amongst them. They have never heard the name Jesus. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but there are people out there that have never heard about Jesus. But I can probably find someone in town here that's never heard who Jesus is. They've heard his name, but used as a cuss word more than anything else. They have no idea who Jesus is. Paul is continuing in his ministry because he wants the, the elect to hear the gospel. The, gospel. the doctrine of election also teaches that we who believe the gospel, we who have been elect, we who have been saved, are supposed to share it. And that's what Paul's doing. We're meant to speak the gospel. Now, you may be sitting there, but who are the elect? We don't get to choose that. We don't get to decide that. And we don't even get to know that. You know how you can recognize a person that's elect? They got saved. Charles Spurgeon said if everybody that was elect and predestined for salvation had a yellow stripe up their back, he would run around London lifting shirt tails, looking for the elect. But we don't know that information. And we're not supposed to because we're not God. But we're supposed to tell them. So you tell everybody. You tell everybody. God chooses to use us to tell the chosen about their Savior. God uses his people to tell everyone. That's what he does. That's his means. That's what he decided to do. God's purposes and God's means of salvation, they bring glory to God and to his Son, Jesus Christ, because of the grace and love that's in him. Do you remember Jesus Christ? That's the command. That's what, that's what Scripture is telling us this morning. Remember Jesus Christ, crucified for the sins of humanity, and trust him for your salvation. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Paul is talking to the Romans, and in the midst of talking a little bit about the children of Israel and the Jews and even sometimes election and predestination, he has this passage in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 17. And he's quoting some Old Testament guys here, but he's also, Paul is writing to, re to remind the Romans that they have to tell people about Jesus. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 8. Paul says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. That's remembering Jesus Christ. Verse 10, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. 
Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Yeah. Verse 14, he goes on, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So, verse 17, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. That's how it gets out. That's how it goes forth. That's how it redeems the lost souls of the kingdom of God. It tells us how this is supposed to work out. And Paul is explaining it there. Let me give you a little illustration. You ever tried to enter an event, a football game, an opera, a concert, without a ticket? You ever walk up to the gate and go, hey, and want to walk right on in? How's that work for you? It doesn't, does it? <clears throat> you ever insist that you can get into some place without paying for admission? It seems ridiculous, right? I, and I know it probably has happened, and there's probably a YouTube video out there on somebody doing it, or some TikTok or whatever. But it seems ridiculous. But many will try to get into heaven without admission, without the ticket. Many's going to try that. They'll say things like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not a bad person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen anything from anybody. They'll probably go through the whole Ten Commandments. It's not fair to refuse me. Have you heard that one? It's not fair to refuse me. But the question is, did you remember Jesus? See, we're not talking about just a, a memory of Jesus. We're talking about a re remember there means something inside you. Something that knows what's right and what's true. You were just informed right now by what I've said this morning that, that Jesus is the only way. So God will wonder when you're there one time that day why you forgot his son and didn't remember him. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't. These two verses here really, these two verses here actually have two audiences. These three verses, they have an audience of believers and unbelievers, which pretty much all scripture does. It's talking to both groups, those who have believed in Jesus and those who have not. First of all, if you have believed in Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus's death, burial and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you are called. See, it doesn't stop just there. That's not fire insurance, okay? You are called to go and tell. You are called to share the truth. We are commanded to remember Jesus, to remember him in everything we do, to remember his gospel, to tell it, to share it, to spread it, even to die for it if necessary. We are beckoned and equipped by the Spirit to die to self and live for Jesus. And what Paul did we too must be willing to do. I know we're not afraid of that here in America, but there's, there's places that you could be afraid of that right now. 
Stop letting the world stifle what you need to say. Stop letting them stuff the message and you let it out. Remember Jesus out loud. Lost people are waiting to hear it. It could be as simple as, well, if, if you knew Jesus, that wouldn't happen to you. If you knew Jesus, that would be, you'd be able to handle that. I mean, it could be that simple. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's the realest testimony and the realest truth you can give someone. Now, second group. Some of you are here week after week. You're hearing the gospel week after week. But you're not receiving it. So here's what the gospel is, right out of Scripture. It's that God promises to forgive sinners who trust totally in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the gospel. Nothing fancier than that. They claim it, they call on him, that, that Jesus being risen forever also tells you about the gospel. He's able to do it. You know, God's already proved he's able to save. He's able to forgive all sins. He's able to bring you into heaven. If you believe him, if you trust him, God's grace is the only means by which our souls can be saved. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't do a miracle for it. Grace gives you the chance. And grace alone. Amazing grace. We sing that song. I see that song sung at, at funerals of people I know are lost. I see that song sung on TV all the time. They love playing the song with bagpipes. It's like that, but they don't understand the amazing grace that is there. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. We sing that one too. So when the end comes, and it will, the end will come, where will your soul go? Heaven or hell? Those are the two choices, the only two choices. And most human beings deep down in their soul know that. They know that there's evil that has to be punished and good that will be rewarded. And the only way that it is done that is through heaven and hell. So will you now claim Jesus? Will you remember his death, burial, and resurrection? Let his love and grace of redemption cover you? That's the question before anyone that's lost today, anyone that doesn't know Jesus. That's the question before you. Will you remember Jesus? You don't have to think about it anymore. You can't think up your faith. You can't, you can't get enough information to generate faith. You can't create your own faith in Jesus. Let God convince you, and he convinces you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It happened. We have to ask ourselves, is salvation, is it in our faith or is it in Jesus? Is salvation from our faith or is it from Jesus? The answer is Jesus. I'll help you out there. Faith in Jesus. But Jesus is the source of the salvation. Haven't you heard enough today to make that choice? to make that faith decision. He rose to save us. So don't wait. Don't deliberate. Don't argue. You don't have to debate it anymore. Remember Jesus's eternal salvation, please. It's important for your soul, for your eternity. I haven't met anybody that doesn't want to go to heaven. <laughs> they love the idea of heaven. They just don't like the idea of how to get there. Remember Jesus' eternal salvation. Now, as, as humans, God gives us this cause for our life, to remember the salvation. 
But we also need to remember Jesus in the way that if we fail, we, we will perish. But if you do believe in Jesus, he has some promises for you. And that's what the next point is. Jesus' eternal promises help us understand our cause of life. 11 through 13. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. He cannot. Praise God. See, the cause of our life is remembering Jesus, what he did and what he promised. I talked about what he did in the first few verses, three verses. I'm going to talk about now what he's promised. Paul's given this trustworthy statement. He says this five times in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. He uses this to, as, a, as an intro to something very important. Most people believe that the, this verbiage is part of a first century hymn or some sort of liturgy that the church used to worship. It doesn't really matter where it came from as much as notice the conditional clauses. I know we're going back to English grammar a little bit, so hang on. Conditional clauses. If this, then this. And it's presented that way for a very specific reason. These spell out God the Son's promises, good or bad. First of all, verse 11. If we've died to our selfish ways, this is what he's talking about. If you've died with him, you will live with him. If you've died to your selfish ways, your spiritual depravity, your sinful lives in Jesus, if you've died to them, then you have eternal life in him. And it starts the day you trust him. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's an instantaneous thing that you start right then. He didn't say, I will die. I will be crucified with Christ. I will live, I will live a life for, for God and for Christ. I do now, present tense, from now and forever. The echoes of what Paul taught is also in Romans 6, 8 through 14. Our sinful nature must die, must die with faith in Jesus Christ. And that's hard to do. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Paul says in Romans 6, starting with verse 8, he says, If we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. For since Christ was raised from the dead, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And Paul says, in the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. Don't let it rule you. That's just part of the sanctification we talk about at times, cleaning ourselves out. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer the parts of your body to instruments to wickedness as instruments of wickedness and unrighteousness. Rather, as a believer in Jesus Christ, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Because, because sin shall not be your master anymore. Because you are not under law, but you're under grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. This is what Paul's talking about here. If you have died with Jesus, 
you will also live with him now and forever. Our faith in Jesus unites us with his death, burial, and resurrection against sin. So we died to sin, but we live with him forever. So grace is the key. Now, verse 12a, this is the second clause here. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure in faith to the end, then we will reign with him forever in God's kingdom. You need proof of that? If you want, you can turn over to Revelations chapter 22, verse 5. Last chapter of the Bible. Listen to what God says. Night will be no more in heaven. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. I don't know what else you need. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke of this in, when he was here in Matthew chapter 10. He said, get to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said this. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a promise, folks, that you can trust in right there. We need to be persistent in our faith every day. It's, it's the one way we mortify and kill sin. And if you're not killing sin, sin's probably killing you. But that's another whole sermon. The third thing he says in, in verse 12b is that if we deny him, he will also deny us. Now that's a little scary, right? Well, I, I'll talk about that in a minute, but... If we deny Jesus, if we refuse him, if we reject him, if we disregard his salvation in this life, then he will deny us in the next. In the same chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus says it this way, verse 33, but whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my father in heaven. Ouch. I think there's going to be a lot of people that get there and think that Jesus is going to stand up for him, but he's not. We must accept his death, burial, and resurrection. See, God doesn't fool around with this. He sent Jesus, his son, to provide eternal life. We need to accept it. Verse 13, the fourth statement he says is that if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Let me explain that. He remains faithful regardless of what we do. He remains faithful to who he is, which is God the Son. And God the Son can't change. God the Son can't break his promises. God the Son cannot violate the covenant. And so let me help you understand that. His offer of eternal life, it, it comes as, as the counter, the, the solution, the antidote for the curse of sin and death. That's what his first coming was about. His offer of eternal life comes with that promise he's going to kill death in us but if we refuse that he doesn't change the offer or modify the conditions of that first statement the gospel is still there the gospel is still real the gospel still has to be believed he doesn't modify that that's how come he can't be faithless because he's god that's the beauty of the whole thing is that jesus is god which means he can pull it off. 
If you've ever doubted, he can make it happen. See, he came the first time to save souls, and he made that very clear. I did not come to, to bring punishment or judgment. I came to seek and to save the lost. That was his first appearing. That was why he came. He will judge the faithless on the second time. There's no clauses. There's no escape clauses. There's no way out of this. And when he comes back the second time, there's no second chances. He will do this. He will judge. And these promises that he's given, is, they're ironclad. They're guaranteed. There's no, there's no way to break it. You can't lawyer your way out of it. They're guaranteed by the creator of the universe. So we don't need to test them. We instead need to trust them. That's what we need to do is trust them. We need to remember that Jesus includes his grace and mercy and love in his message, but he also includes justice and holiness because he's God. You can't forget that. That's why he won't deny himself. He won't break that promise. Jesus promises to save and to judge, to take advantage of the first. So you take advantage of the first to avoid the second when he comes. You know, in our favorite passage, John 3.16, if you want to turn there, go ahead and do so. John 3.16, we can all probably quote that. A lot of us can quote the first part. But 17 and 18 and 19 tell us something else too. Something beyond the first visit by Jesus. John 3, 16 through 19, John writes, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. That's great. Even going on, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Hallelujah. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are or evil. Pretty clear. You don't accept him. You don't believe him. You don't trust him for your forgiveness. You're condemned. It's right there in black and white. Right there coupled with our favorite verse. Jesus wasn't hiding anything. He was completely transparent of what was going to happen. I came to save. To seek and save the lost. Not to condemn. But he also was clear that when he does come back, he will judge. He will judge. Let's go back to our, our ticket illustration for a second. Suppose you have a ticket in your pocket, but you don't want to show it. You walk up to the door to go into the place, and you, you don't want to show them your ticket. You refuse. You don't think you have to. How good is that? Does that work for you? It's silly, right? I mean, if you really want to get in, you're going to show the ticket, right? Jesus must be remembered. He's the ticket. And living your life by remembering Jesus every day, that's showing the ticket. 
How will anyone, how will anyone, including yourself, know you follow Jesus if you refuse these conditions, if you refuse to live out your faith? Let's apply this a little more. Again, this is addressing two groups of people, believers and unbelievers. Verse 11 speaks to the unconditional surrender of ourself, to the eternal service of Jesus Christ. Like Paul says many other times, we die to our old ways. And that dying is constant. Getting rid of your old lifestyles, your old habits, and living for Jesus every single moment of the day. That's what we're called to do. That's what means if you've died with him, you will live with him. We do everything as under the Lord. It also points to the eternal life that we gain by that salvation. We're living as, as if we're not citizens here. We're citizens up there. We're storing treasure in heaven by the way we live. But if you are not striving to live like this, your salvation is questionable. So I would tell you to ask the Holy Spirit for help. If you are not striving to live out your faith, wherever you are and whatever you're planted in, your salvation is questionable. I want you to have assurance, so that's why I'm telling you this. Verse 12a speaks to both as well. There's an eternal reign that's going to happen if we endure in faith in Jesus Christ to the end. But there's also a converse. If you don't endure, you won't reign. If you don't endure in faith, you will not reign. In other words, you will have no faith in Jesus. In other words, you will not go to heaven. You'll go to the other place. Hell. Verse 12b speaks to both as well. There's a permanent denial of Jesus that will lead you to hell. Permanently denying who Jesus is and what he has done. That is the ultimate denial and it will not do you good. But don't, pa don't panic. I read this as a child, a young Christian, I mean, and I was like, whoa. I, you know, there have been times I've denied Jesus. Verbally denied Jesus. I didn't want anybody to know that I was a Christian. I didn't want them to know I was a goody two-shoes or a holy thumper or a Bible-believing fool. I, didn't want, I was ashamed at times. You know, Peter did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. He denied Jesus three times, not just once, three times in the same night, in the same setting, probably within an hour of, of all three that doesn't make it right, but it does point to the fact that there is this sometimes a temporary verbal rejection, a temporary bobble as believers. We sometimes lose track of ourselves. And like Peter, when you realize it and you repent and confess it, it straightens you out. Peter was a different person after that, especially after Jesus restored him at the end of the Gospel of John. I mean, I had to do that one time. I had basically kind of denied my, my following of Jesus, and I had to go tell somebody after the fact when I did it. Later, I had to tell them that I was wrong, that I should have told them that. Because of the situation, it required me to go tell them. That was not fun. That's the beautiful thing about grace. <laughs> you can do that. And you have, you have not lost nothing in God's eyes. God forgives but there is a permanent denial where no, where no one ever believed. You, you, you basically have rejected the whole idea of Christ dying for sinners. 
And you only appeared that way, maybe. Maybe you played the part. I did for a while. But it's a permanent denial like Judas. Judas is a perfect example of someone who denied who Christ was. He believed he was a good teacher. He believed he was a good man. Matter of fact, when he went back to the, the Pharisees to turn the money back and get Jesus free, he said, I've betrayed a, 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 a sinless man. I've betrayed someone who is innocent. Not sinless, but innocent. He was remorseful for his own situation. He did not remember Jesus and who he was. Our faith may falter at times, but if we permanently walk away from Jesus, we never had faith in Jesus. That's a hard thing to accept sometimes, but that's the truth. Scripture points to that. They went away from us because they were not of us. They didn't remember Jesus. So don't deny Jesus ever, and you won't have to deal with this. That's the moral of the story there. Don't ever deny him. Always be willing to die with him, whatever it may be, like Paul is. And then verse 13 also speaks to both groups. We may be faithless in our living for Jesus, but if you confess it and you repent of it, you're forgiven. That's what being faithful to God means. When you blow it, you admit it. But when one pretends to trust Jesus, but has not the faith to survive the trials or suffering or, or even just obey, obeying Jesus, obedience of walking with Jesus, that one will be punished eternally. There will be many, according to Jesus on, in Matthew 7, 22, there are many who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? See, Jesus says, to them, I, I don't know you. You didn't remember me. Depart from me. That's going to happen. I don't want it to happen to any of you. So Jesus can't deny these promises. He can't break these promises. He promises to redeem those who trust him and to judge the ones who will not. That's why he cannot deny himself. And you can bank on those promises forever. Like I said, they're ironclad. Our cause is to remember Jesus in both roles. Savior and judge, because he is both. Let me summarize it a little bit. God commands us to remember Jesus. I hope you've gotten that this morning. What he did and will do for those who believe. Remember Jesus. God also wants us to know that what Jesus will do to those who do not trust him. And it is not a pretty sight. We throw that word hell around so frivolously now. Nobody knows what hell's like. Even the descriptions in the Bible, I think, are short. I don't think they can fully describe hell like they can't fully describe heaven. It will be a place of endless punishment. So what do you do with these verses? What are you going to do with this? What does God want you to do? He wants you to remember Jesus. He really does. If you don't know Jesus, have faith in him right now. It's that, it's that easy. Express your faith in him. If you do know Jesus, tell others now. Don't hesitate. That's why we're called, and that's why we were saved. These are really the only two choices of how to handle this, these verses. Pray about it and ask God to show you how. I tell you more this morning, believers, don't forget your Savior. Don't forget your Savior. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus in every aspect of your life. When you blow it, remember Jesus because you go, go to him for forgiveness. 
When you come across someone who doesn't know Jesus, tell them. That's remembering Jesus. If any of you would like to talk to me about being a full partner in our fellowship, come talk with me after the service. I would love to do that. Now, for those of you who do not know Jesus, one more time, I want to say that Jesus makes it very clear. Repent and believe the good news. The good news. Jesus came to save sinners, and we all are. <laughs> Nobody escapes that title. That's not a stereotype. That's a fact. We are all sinners. God gave you all the information you need today to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have it all. You know it all. So trust his son. Look to Jesus to avoid hell and gain eternal life in heaven. So let's take some time right now to pray about this. Pray over these truths that God gave us this morning. Those burdens that came to mind during the sermon, bring them to Jesus. If you want to come down front and pray, we'll have a time of silent prayer. Come on and do that. But let's take our burdens to Jesus. Let's pray.